Hi, I'm Chris McLean from Stonechair Capital. Earlier, I had the opportunity to sit down with Wale Ewaje of Watt Renewables and hear how the power of diaspora is changing the telecoms industry in Nigeria. Let's dive into that discussion with Wale of Watt Renewables and learn more about energy and Africa. And so, how long have you guys been operating with this business model in Nigeria now then for? Well, we started in 2018. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah, so we've been doing it since 2018 uh, in Nigeria. I mean, before we even did that, we, we initially started off with doing mini grids. So we'd built a mini grid in a, in a community. Uh, it's still operational, um, powering houses, schools, hospitals, or not hospitals, clinics. Uh, within the community and um, now we know in this um, CNI space where we're providing energy as a service to telecommunication providers and using them as an anchor to provide power to uh, smaller medium-scale businesses in and around the cell phone towers. You hit on a, in an interesting phrase that I had heard before, um, that idea of energy as a service. Mm. It's not energy as an asset, energy as a, as a right, it's energy as a service. Yeah. Um, so in your business models, the way you're looking at things with your anchor tenant, are they um, the one that you end up having a, a corporate power purchase agreement with and that, or do you extend your model to have uh, energy as service fees also from your uh, additional add-ons that go with it? How, how do you look at sort of that expansion for your company going forward? Um, right now, I mean, you you got you hit it the nail on the head. Um, the anchor tenant is a is a, I mean, provides us with I would say ninety percent of our revenue base. Mm-hmm. Um, the small and medium scale businesses in and around those anchor tenants also do pay us, but the revenue from them is really is really small. They're small businesses. Yeah. Um, so our our goal for the down the line is to be able to build community power plants where we are providing power uh, to communities, but at the same time where you've got this anchor tenants that can come in and say, you know, as part of our social responsibility to this community, we will subsidize some of their power uh, their power tariff, which is what uh, the anchors are doing right now. Um, yeah. So. That's uh, that that model that we're using right now is on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. The plan is to actually grow it to a more bigger power plant per community further down the line. So, an interesting ramification, or maybe not ramification, realization of the actualities here is that your business plan is not anticipating that growth of the domestic grid, whether they be through um, you know, uh, the government's growth or from the, the privatized approach to say a grid expansion is going to continue in your country. You still see a need for decentralized power. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really, I mean, we looked at the UK model. I mean, in the UK, uh, just prior to the Industrial Revolution, um, prior to where they actually had massive power supplies, People were really taking care of business themselves. They were taking care of themselves. Um, and it's the same thing that we're looking at. We're saying, 
even if the grid became reliable today, mm-hmm. we we don't see that happening for for a little while. <laughs> um, but if the grid became reliable today, people still need a level of backup and reliability. Take Alberta. Um, we've got the oil sands. We've got cogeneration plants um, from the oil sands. Um, power has been generated there. Power has been generated through hydro. Power has been generated through solar. Power is, people are looking at generating power through wind. Ancillary services to provide backup to um, to the existing power grid, the government is still providing that. And how many of how many people do we have in Alberta? We've got uh, what thir- three, four million, four million people. Yeah. So four million people, and we've got a. I mean, we've got backup on backups to ensure that the power grid does not fail, and to ensure that power is always available. If the grid in Nigeria was to become reliable tomorrow people will still demand a backup. Mm. And before that grid becomes reliable, we're already providing what could be classified as that backup, decentralized power. And who knows, we might be so effective that the communities might say, you know what, the grid becomes the backup to our existing decentralized power station, which they would already be used to by that time. So, It, it uh, creates the interesting possibility of consumers versus prosumers that's right Who, who's producing power for the grid that's that is a and and i i, I see and we've had a few discussions where um the gencos as they are called in nigeria and even the discos the distribution companies mm-hmm. are now looking at distributed power providers and saying you know what are you able to provide a standalone power generation power generation facility for community a and we will seed that that area to you. Mm. So you own that area. You just pay us for whatever we provide from the grid. Um, the government is really encouraged to that with government policies. So I think the, the discos, the jenkos, the government are realizing that they, there's a need for more energy mix, uh, energy generation mix into uh, in Nigeria at least. So an interesting thing that you have created here with your company and your ambitions going forward is you're creating jobs at the same time. Mm. And your jobs aren't created in one jurisdiction. Talk to me about the international nature of your business and how it continues to evolve. Yeah, you're, you're right. Um, you know that's that's what government's always looking for, right? Jobs, companies that are creating jobs. That's why they they continue to promote and support businesses like ours. Um, so in 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 Canada, we do have uh, we've got some staff here um, in Canada, um, so working on Canadian operations. Uh, in Nigeria, we've got we've got a fairly large organization um, in Nigeria. I mean. Uh, we started in 2018. Um, this is 2021, and uh, the organization has grown uh, right now to almost 40 people um, that are f- full-time employees um, that we've uh, that we've got. Um, and we're now looking at not just Nigeria; we're looking at other African countries. Mm. We're actually looking at other uh, other continents um, as well. Um, we've done. Uh, we've been in discussions, doing proposals, and um, 
surveying projects in different continents also. Uh, so as our operations continues to grow, obviously the human resource that is required as well continues to grow. Uh, we're projecting to be at about um, over 70 employees before before the end of this year. Um, and next year we've got a, we open that if, when everything goes according to plan, uh, we'll be doubling those numbers um, as well. So yes, you're, you're right. And when I say doubling the numbers, I mean combined between Canada and um, in Africa um, in this case. Now, you made another comment here too that I'd like to go back to. It's the when everything goes back to normal. That's an interesting statement, normal, in our yes. real world. I know, though, that you being the driven individual you are, don't sit still. <laughs> y- you've been back and forth a couple times. Tell me about doing business during COVID and, and traveling back and forth to the continent. Oh, that's a, that's a very interesting dynamic. I think uh, Alberta is on its, what, third shutdown, uh, I think. Um, in, and in, in Nigeria, when COVID hit, I was actually in South Africa, um, actually. That was March of 2020. Yeah. March of March of 2020, and I remember um, the uh, the investors I was talking to back then saying, "You know what? This country is going to shut down," and I didn't quite take it take it seriously. Luckily enough, I kind of got out before, and just as I got out, they shut down, and I left Nigeria, came back, uh, came back to Canada, and then everything shut down nigeria shut down um the old world essentially shut down now nigeria did eventually reopen but by the time they reopened you know the the case counts at that time for whatever reason was uh was low and um things kind of went back to semi-normal for them people were going back uh some people were going back to to work we were not working. All our all our staff were working from home, um, and uh, in Canada, obviously, we were still shut down. So we were all working from home, um, and we actually are still working from home um, at this particular time. Um, in Nigeria, we've got we we did we gradually did a modified work schedule, uh, but now we're actually fully all back uh, in the office as of now in Nigeria. Um, but traveling has gotten a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, before you leave, different countries with different rules. Sure, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. And to get to Africa, you've got to either go through the US, you've got to go through um, Europe, mm-hmm. um, and in some cases, you go through Ethiopia, which is a much longer... Yeah, through um, uh, With, uh, with uh, Ethiopian Ethiopia, air. Yeah, 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 yeah that's through. right. And going through Europe, I remember... Uh, in August of last year, when I was trying to get back to Nigeria, I got stuck in in London for a week. Jumping. I mean, I, we had a flight. We got to the airport. We were allowed to fly from Calgary to London to Etro. And we get to Etro, and they're like, what are you doing here? There's no flight to Nigeria. I was like, what do you mean there's no flight? I got a ticket over here. And they're like, oh, well, there's no flight. And I'm like, okay, so what's the plan? They're like, oh, well. You stay in London or we put you on a flight back to Canada. <laughs> so, but now to get back to, to get to Nigeria is actually even a little more tricky because 
trying to go through Germany, you've got to have a COVID test 48 hours prior to departure. Mm-hmm. Yep. To get to Nigeria, you've got to have a COVID test. I think their COVID test might also be like 48 hours. So you've got to try to figure out, okay, I get to Germany at X time. I got to get on my flight at this time. Am I still within my 40, 48 hour time period? And at times when you're not within your 48 hour time period, you've got to do two tests. You've got to do an antigen test that would satisfy the German authorities. And we're still within the time period. And you've got to do a COVID test that will satisfy the Nigerian authorities so that you could still be within the time period. So typically what we do is we'll do a COVID test that will satisfy the Nigerian authority for the 48-hour time period. You do a COVID test at the airport that will satisfy the German authorities so that you can still be within the 48-hour period. Because if you don't do that, you miss your You're flight. <laughs> but you've done this a few times. Oh, yeah. And, and, and your, 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 your energy as a service, I'm only supposing here, but um, has escalated in demand because COVID has created more demand of the telcos. Absolutely. You got COP26 coming up. You want all kinds of things to happen. And you are all of a sudden a valuable asset. Absolutely. You know, energy as a service for telecoms has never even been so important until during COVID. Telecom operators, I would say, made a lot of money during COVID. And we all know why. Everyone is at home. There's not a lot of places to go to. The only way you connect to friends and family is through your phone. So telecom operators really needed to ensure that all of their sites were up and running during COVID. Um, They had all the backups that they required to help ensure that the sites were not down. Because when a site is down, there's a dollar component to it. If a site is down for over an hour, a telecom operator could be losing millions of Naira uh, because now people aren't making calls. They're not surfing the internet. They're not on Instagram. They're not on Facebook. No FaceTime. Um, and telecom operators, I mean, they want everybody on, on their platform all the time. So coming out of COVID slowly has really reinforced to them the need to ensure that there's a more reliable power source and, if possible, um, multiple sources to ensure that they stay up all the time. So it, it poses an interesting question. Telcos being the, in Nigeria, in Africa in general, uh, being the one of the powerhouse industries that's allowed the expansion uh, of so many items in, in the development of, of knowledge, of, of businesses. Of the, it's driven around the telco. With the strength that they have, why do they not want to be in energy? Why do they want to call Wale? You know, telecoms are companies have realized that power is not their business. Their core business is technology. Looking at how do we transition from 3G to 4G to 5G? Um, how do we get this latest and greatest small cell technology out to market? 
how do we capture a much larger market share? Um, and if you really look at where they are now, let's talk about where they started from. Sure. Yeah. Um, so in, in 1999 was when telecommunications was privatized in Nigeria. <clears throat> and we had all this, we had MTN, we had Econet, um, a few other providers that came in. Back then, what these guys were doing was they owned the entire value chain, right? They owned the technology aspect of it. They were dealing with the power aspect of it. They were dealing um, with the government and licensing aspect of it. And as time went on, they realized that there were just certain aspects they were not good at. Um, they, were, they, they gradually realized that their business was actually no longer telecoms. They were essentially graduating to becoming a power company because they were putting a lot of resources on trying to solve the mm. power problem. Yeah. And I think uh, some of the very smart people in the room kind of sat back and said, you know what? Not our business. Not our business. Yeah. We got to give this to people that could do it more effectively. So they, they initially outsourced it to tower companies. Um, and tower companies also realized our business is trying to actually grow this tower business, which is trying to find more lucrative spots for MTN, for Airtel, for Nine Mobile, so that they can put their cell phone uh, equipment in there. Our business is not trying to figure out how we keep the sites up and running all the time. That's where people like us come in. Interesting, yep. So we're now coming with technology because, I mean, Solar's, uh, solar hybrid systems are not proprietary, really. Yep. Um, but what is more proprietary is the process and the engineering that you use in ensuring reliability. Now, anybody can say, oh, it's easy, I can do it. Sure, lots of people have tried. Um, and some have left and in other parts of the world. Some are still doing uh, quite well. So when they look at the engineering proprietoriness that we bring, when they look at the processes that we bring, uh, when they look at the quality of equipment that we bring, uh, the customer service that we bring, it's really a no-brainer uh, for them. And you cap it all with a very cost-effective pricing model um, that allows them to pay for power the same way power is paid for in North America. They, they're very excited about it. Therein, I think, is something quite innovative uh, for power generation and usage that the continent as a whole is trying to get to. Get away from the, you know, PPAs that have take or pay and all, you know, it's to, no, no, whatever I use, I pay for. That's right. It's, yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's... It's bankrupted how many different utilities across the continent. It's cr how many different governments are still dealing with legacy PPAs that are, yeah, you need the investment 20 years ago to say, I want to do something, but they're paying for power at 25, 30 cents a kilowatt versus five to 10. That's correct. It's bankrupting people. And you come along and say, I can do this for corporates that have um, stronger balance sheets than governments, yeah. have better credit ratings, um, are the cash flow generating kings of the continent, yeah. and you're my client. And uh, sure, we'll do take or pay. That's right. No, you, you not take or pay. We'll we'll do you know pay as you go. Pay as you go. Yep. Yeah. Now you 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 nailed it, and that's I mean obviously 
telecom operators are key in a lot of the a lot of African countries um, because they they provide in a lot. Uh, they put in a lot back into the GDP of a lot of these countries. They got strong balance sheets. Um, they they are strong organizations that that are invest already um, as well. Um, and th- you know that typical concern around would they pay is not always there because the operator knows if I don't pay and I get shut down, I'm actually losing more in revenue than if I just pay these guys uh, whatever I've used and keep everybody keep everybody happy. And that's what we've seen. We've seen these operators gladly pay because they, they get the service. Their end customers, which is typically someone like me, yeah. are very happy. So I stay with them and I buy more recharge cards uh, because they are, quote, unquote, reliable. Yeah. yeah. You go from three phones to one and you're spending all your airtime with them. That's that's a happy customer. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Very interesting. Very interesting. All right. Well, I want to give you the last word here and just to speak about what you want now. When you were sitting at night in your boardroom or in your board school and you had these dreams and now you're implementing one of these dreams. What do you want now? What's next? You know, I think in, in Africa, let me not just use Africa, let me say in emerging economies around the world, um, there is a, there's a power need. And I think the first step to any type of growth for any country is solving that power problem. Um, we're not naive to think that we're going to solve all of the problems, but we recognize that we can actually make an impact. Right now, the first step is um, solidifying our base and providing at least enough impact in the power space uh, in Nigeria. Outside of Nigeria, there's a lot of other African countries that we are very interested in um, as well. Uh, there's Togo, there's Liberia, there's Gambia, there's Guinea. Um, there's, there's a lot of other African countries that also have the same power needs as Nigeria. Um, outside of Africa, um, there are other smaller islands that also have power needs as well that we've also been talking to also pivoting slightly away from power the next step really uh, for us is really agriculture is how do we support um, the agricultural space in Africa there's, there's a huge shortage and that shortage is really I mean, warehousing um, when a farmer produces goods from the farm to market in a lot of African countries, 60% of the produce is lost just because of bad roads, uh, because of there's no good road network, um, because there isn't reliable power to store these produces. They only get about 40% to market. Now, the 40%, because there's not enough storage, 
in itself also goes bad. So maybe you really are only able to sell 30 or 20% of everything that you've actually farmed. And it's looking at how can we actually solve part of that problem. And I think we have a very unique solution uh, to solving it. But so as not to come across as being all over the place, uh, what we are trying to do first is to first of all raise enough money to actually put a dent into some of these power problems is the first step. Um, I mean, as of right now, we're looking to raise a total of about $100 million to be able to solve that power problem. And then shouldn't take us too, too long uh, to, to do that. I mean, a couple of years um, to be able to spend all the $100 million. But then look at agriculture. How do we actually add to the value chain of supporting farmers to be able to get their produce out to market faster and in a more cost-effective way? That is a aspirational goal that with what I've seen so far, you're going to be knocking on that door sooner than you think. Thank you very much, Chris. Wally, <laughs> th- th- thanks for spending the time with us here today. And I, I continue to to enjoy our chats and I look forward to ongoing uh, working with you and uh, we'll have you again here again soon and we'll have this an update where we stand a year from now. Absolutely. That sounds great. Good stuff. Thanks, Wally. Thanks, Grace. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Energy and Africa. I'm your host, Chris McLean. If you like what you just heard, We hope you'll pass along our web address, stonechaircapital.com, to your friends and colleagues. And please, leave us a positive review on all your social platforms. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts and videos. Check us out on Twitter and LinkedIn. Details are all on the show notes. Join us next time for another edition of Energy and Africa.